Hey everyone, hope you are doing well today. My name is Todd Lynch. I'm the East Location Pastor here at Fountain Springs, and I'll welcome all of you to Fountain Springs. Uh, all of our locations, West, East, and Prison, and those of you listening and watching online, we are so glad uh, that you've joined us. So we've been going through this series called Retrace. Last week I started it, and now we are in week two. And so just to give you a little quick recap, last week we talked about the principle of the path and how important that principle is. And no matter how hard you try, it's always going to be true. And so the principle of path is simply this. Direction determines destination. I'll give you a quick just verse story about that. Here you go. You've got, if I were to tell you, hey, I want to go to California, I get on I-90 and head east, it's not going to work. Never going to get there, all right? No matter how hard I try. That's why direction determines destination. The direction determines destination. And so we went a little bit deeper with that and talked about how our decisions guide our direction. And so that's where we ended last week. And, and now I kind of want to dig into this a little bit more, kind of build upon it and talk about, okay, how do we make the right decisions though? Because I don't know about you, but life gets really hard when it comes to making all these decisions. It's tough, especially when you're just wondering, okay, do I do this or do I do this? I, how do I figure it all out? So I said, <laughs> To make this even more complicated, I uh, did some research on decisions. Do you know that we make 226.7 decisions on food? Just let that sink in for a little bit. Some of you are going, I don't make any. It's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and most of the time those things are decided because I eat the same thing every day. Like, this many decisions on food. I don't, I don't know how I do that, or if that's true, I don't know. Some of you are probably like, oh, absolutely. It's a whole process. I've got to do this, 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 and like 2,000 decisions into it, you're like, now I've got my meal. And I'm like, how? What? Now, it, the research kind of kept going. So as kids, we make 3,000 decisions a day. I was thinking about this, I was like, okay, with my daughter, who's three, I think 2,999 of those will be, will I listen to my dad or mom or not? <laughs> right? And then it showed this, the adults, they make 35,000 decisions every day. That's crazy. We make that many decisions in a day. Some of you are like, no, that's not true. Some of you are like, I make more. And so you process this, like there are so many decisions happening, so many things, so many directions that we can be going down to get us to the destinations that we want to get to. And so how do we know we're making the right decisions? How do we know we're making the wisest decisions, the best decisions? And so that, that led me to a moment that I remember, it was four years ago, I was at a leadership conference, and someone was sharing a story with me that, that wrecked me on some of this. Because I was just blown away by just how much the impact of the decisions that these guys were making played out in affected people's lives, affected people surviving. It, it was crazy. So let, let me give you the story. So it involves two people, Amundsen and Scott, two explorers who back in 1911, this is in October 1911, they decided we're going to go to the South Pole. Now, he had a team, so this is Scott. British naval officer had a team of 65 people that they were going to go figure out how to get to the South Pole because no one had ever been there before. And then Amundsen had a Norwegian team that he put together of 19 people. And so they're having this almost competition 
of seeing who can get there first. And it was a big thing back then. And if you want to look it up, you'll, you'll see documents, you'll see all this different kind of stuff. And so these two are just going after it, trying to get to the same destination. They even had the same directions, but the decisions within that is what became important. So to give you an example, so let's just take like, you know, the traveling details. Traveling details kind of turned into this. So for a Munson, he had this all planned out that they would take, do 15 miles every day. That sounds miserable. Like, that just sounds awful. But 15 miles every day, and I remind you, this is in Antarctica where it's freezing, okay? So 15 miles every day, and so on the good days when they hit 15 miles, stopped and rested. On the bad days, they tried to get as far as they could because some were so bad they couldn't get anywhere. On top of that, every little journey that they were on, every they put a little marker down, so that way they knew to get back to where they came from. And then on top of that, they had these depots that would be kind of food and shelter. And so Munson had this whole plan out, markers, depots, all the stuff, 15 miles a day, and we'll get there by this point. On top of that, he had the food and the shelter at the depots planned out to where he did three times the amount that was yeah, he calculated. So you have that, and then you got Scott. Scott was a little bit more relaxed. So when the bad days came, he told his men, hey, let's stay in the tents. I like this guy. He already was like, let's just take it easy. And then, on top of that, he, uh, when it was good days, they went as far as they could. And if you were kind of comparing, like, markers, so for every seven markers that a Munson put down, Scott put two. And then in regards to Deepot, Scott just prepared just enough. So you can kind of see where the story is going, and it even got more in regards to transportation. So Munson did all the studying on the Eskimos, figured out that it was better to have dog sleds and, and to have, uh, you know, skiers who could do everything because skiing was going to be a part of it. So all of his team were experienced skiers who could do it at a young age. Scott, on the other hand, was like, I'm going to get creative. I don't know if you've thought like this. He's like, he's like I'm going to use these motor sledges, what we know now as snowmobiles. As they were just coming out, and he's like, well, I'm going to use this, and then we're going to have ponies as backups when the motor sledges doesn't work, and then we'll be have skiers. Now, he picked a team of 65, and not all of them were great skiers. And so you can kind of tell where this is going. So Munson, 19 people, were able to get to the South Pole first and beat Scott by 34 days and then was able to get his, back, his team back safely. No one was hurt, nothing. Scott's team, 65 people, suffered major setbacks, lost many supplies. Six people from his team, including Scott, died on the journey. Now, here's the fascinating part to me. Many people thought Scott was the one that was going to make it. Because Scott had the inevitable, in, you know, the creative ways, the new ways, and he had all the people, he had the resources, he had all these kind of things. But his decision-making was not the best. It was the Munson's. And so that's where it kind of, I sat there and go, okay, what? How do you make the best decisions in life? How do you do it? How do you know that this is the right decision? Because I've seen this before. You've got two people on the same path, going the same direction, but one gets to the destination and one somehow veers off. And they're both making good decisions, but one is making the best decision. And so to me, I'm looking at that going, okay, and life, because all of us, we're wrestling with 35,000 decisions every day. How do we make the best one? How do we know which way to go? Because we talked about last week, decisions determine our direction, 
and our direction determines our destination. So this decision part is a huge deal. So I was reading and studying, and I came across this story this week that I want to share with you about David. Most of you know David. He's, he's the one that killed Goliath. Um, and so he had this interesting story where at, after he killed Goliath, I mean, think about that. Big moment. He's killed Goliath. Everyone's just in awe of him. Big celebratory moment. He's become famous. That's David. Now, at this time, King Saul was the one in charge. And so King Saul started noticing how much fame David was getting, became jealous. So jealous that he said, I want David dead. Kind of an unhealthy deal. Um, and so David is now running, and, and there is a group of mighty men that was with him who followed him, who looked up him as a leader, and they're like, we'll go with you wherever you go. And so they're following. So you've got David and his family, all these mighty men and their family, and they've been running now for a long time. And it gets to a point to where they're hiding in, in one cave, and someone has told Saul this is where they're hiding, and so Saul brings him and 3,000 people out here. And Saul, all of a sudden, has this moment where we've all had it and go, dude, I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> like, I really need to go. Like, this is bad. And so there's no like porter potties back at this point. So, um, and they're not close to a city. So they're like, I'll go in this cave. Well, these caves were so deep that David and his men were even farther back in that cave, which if it's going downhill, that could be a mess. Just saying. Um, <laughs> Some of you are catching on. That's good. Um, and so Saul is going in there, and all the men and David notice, here's our opportunity. God's given us this. We can take this. We now can stop running. We can kill Saul, and we can now stop this whole deal and be back to our normal lives, be back to being happy, being back to just having our families and being able to be at home. And so David's like, oh, yeah, okay, let's go do this. And he goes up there, and in that moment, he couldn't bring himself to do it. So he's like, all right, I can't kill the king, but he decides to cut off a piece of his robe. So he comes back to the men. Men are probably assuming, like, oh, man, like, killed Saul, and you got a little souvenir for it. Like, good job. Like, great. But catch this next part. Catch this in the, uh, in the verse in, in 1 Samuel. But then David's conscience began to bother him. Because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord and King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not like, let them kill Saul. Now, I want you to put yourself as one of the mighty warriors. David comes back, he's got this little robe piece, and you're like, all right, man, we're free, we're good, we're golden. And then all of a sudden, he's like, guys, I want you to know I didn't kill Saul, and you aren't going to kill Saul. And <laughs> everybody's like, wait, what? What are you doing right now? Why did you not kill Saul? Like, why did you not do this? We, ah, I think all of them in there were questioning, like, what happened to this warrior? We saw him kill Goliath. We saw him do so many great things in battle. Why all of a sudden now? And he's bringing up, like, the Lord forbid me to do this. He's our king. And he's like, but this king is messed up. He's totally leading this country in the wrong direction. Israel is not even surviving all this. Like, it's a mess. God is wanting you to have this. See, in that moment, both people are thinking God's saying something. But what's the best decision? And so you go with 
David's mindset, and here's some wisdom that I think we can gather from this passage and for us making decisions in the future is act as if the future is the present. Act as if the future is the present. And here's what I mean by this, because this is what David was doing. David was processing, okay, if I killed this king, if I even cut off a piece of his robe, that's where the conscience part got him. And he's like, wait, I shouldn't have not even done that. Because this is God's king. He put him in authority. And although he may not be leading, well, it's not my responsibility to judge him. And future part of this, if I kill this king, if I would have even hurt him on any level, what keeps someone else from stepping in and doing the same thing to me? See, act as if the future is the present. It's where he was kind of recognizing the consequences that I'll have tomorrow because of this decision. It's going to impact me for the rest of my life. And so I think most of us, I, and I, I struggle with it, and sometimes I get stuck in the moment, and I just want to make this decision, like, this is right, this is so good, this is blah, blah, blah. But I forget the, how much the future plays into this. His son Solomon, so David later had a son named Solomon, who I talked about last week, and Solomon wrote this, and I, and I thought it was very powerful in Proverbs. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. So the prudent see danger and take refuge. I would even put it, the wise see danger and take refuge. So David sees this moment and goes, I can't do this. He's like, I can't even uh, live with the fact that I cut off his robe. I need to own this. I, I, I don't want this guilt. I don't want any of this. I see the issues down the road. And he took refuge and said, God, I need you to help me walk this out. But the simple, I remind you, the simple just keep on walking. Simple, just kind of plow through this. Foolish, just plow through this. And I think there's a mentality in our culture today, a mentality in our culture that goes, just go do it and ask for forgiveness later. And I think that becomes a very dangerous mentality. I, I've been guilty of it many times where I've just said, well, we got to go through it. We got to make these decisions. We got to get through it. Just then it will be done, then it will be over, and I can figure it all out and tell people, I'm sorry for the people I hurt in the midst of this. But there's wisdom in this where we go, okay, no, we've got to think about the future, think about what's going on in the tomorrow as we're processing through things today. Because that mentality of kind of going through life and then asking for forgiveness later, what it does is it puts a focus on your short-term life here on earth instead of your eternity in either heaven or hell. That's why I believe us making these decisions are so key. And because the culture will tell you, live in the moment, do what you need to, and, and make yourself happy. You deserve it, all those kind of things. But there is a big disconnect with us recognizing how much our decisions here on earth affect our eternity. So that's why we have to act as if the future is right now happening in the present, keeping that mindset in front of us. The story keeps going uh, with David, and he now makes a decision that I think all of us in here would freak out. Not only has he like told the men, we're not going to kill Saul, all that. He then feels so bad, he's like, I've got to own this and tell Saul. <laughs> I think every mighty warrior was like, no, no, you're, no, you're not. They've got 3,000 men. We have 30. 
we're hiding in a cave. This is not, it's like easy, it's like fish in a barrel here. Like we are going to get destroyed. Do not talk, do not say anything. He's like, get out of my way, I'm going. And catch what he says. Then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you've been hunting for me to kill me. Now, this speech is awesome. Some amazing things that he said in there, being open and honest about just the things he's been struggling with. Like, why, Saul, what did I do to you? Why do you hate me so much? Why are you trying to kill me? I was the one that killed Goliath. I was the one that helped Israel get out of the mess that they were in. You saw that. What did I do that offended you? He's walking all that, and he's pointing out, like, I could have killed you, but I didn't. I had every right to kill you, but I didn't. Now, after he got done, all the men were like, okay, what's he going to do now? Is Saul going to kill us? Are these men going to kill us? Like, what's happening? Because everything's been exposed now. Everything's out in the open. I mean, David has just put all of his men and him in danger. A decision most of us in here would probably be like, that sounds stupid. Sounds crazy. But here's the one thing that I find fascinating about David, because you can hear it in what he's talking about. He was after the truth. He wanted so badly to understand why Saul hated him so much, why Saul was trying to kill him, because he did not understand. He didn't understand why he was running, didn't understand any of this. And there was just a quest that he had in his heart. He's like, I want to know the truth. And I think the reality is, is if you read your Bible, you'll notice that David uh, was described constantly as a man chasing after God's own heart. Because instead of chasing after happiness, like I think most of us do, he was chasing after the truth. He wanted to know why God was doing what he was doing, why things were happening, why the earth that he lived in, why even the relationship with the king were messed up. And see, that conquest for truth is huge. Because let me kind of walk this out. So you got either you're chasing after truth or you're chasing after happiness. Here's the problem with happiness, though. Happiness is good and all. We all want it. But it can be schizophrenic. Yeah, it, it can be. And, and, and by schizophrenic, you're like, well, okay, help me. What is that? That is when someone like, is just not in reality in regards to their thinking, behaviors, or even their feelings. They're just off the charts. So happiness, here's what it does to you to make you kind of go that way is to where you one day you're going, I really want that. Let's say, for instance, all of a sudden you're like, man, I love music, I love being a DJ. You've never been a DJ in your life. But all of a sudden you're like, I'm doing that, it's late at night, and you buy all the DJ gear. Like, this is great, this is awesome, I'm loving it. Then it all comes in. And you get it in a week, and you're like, why did I do this? This was not a good idea. But in the moment, it felt good. It felt happy. Everything, you're like, this will help me. We do this in relationships. We do this with a ton of things. For some reason, happiness thinks, 
I'm going to feel this if I get this. I'm going to behave this way. I'm going to get this. And it messes with us. We chase after it like crazy, hoping we get it. But then in the end, we're stuck with, why did I do that? I was so dumb. That was. And so the other quest, the quest for truth, and this is the part I love about God, where if we chase after truth, we try to figure out, okay, what is this life about? Who is God? Chasing after those. The beautiful part is, is that God knowing how much we desire happiness, we desire that in our lives, he said, I will show you that. As you, if you're willing to take this path of finding out what truth is, make all the decisions toward that, and every decision you make, focus on truth instead of happiness. If you're willing to do that, not only will you find the truth, you'll also find happiness, but it is a long-term happiness. I call it joy. Where God goes, I don't want you to have this schizophrenic happiness where it's good for 30 seconds, 30 minutes, 30 days, whatever the case may be, and then it disappears. And then you're left with, why did I think that was good? God goes, no, I want you to learn the truth. Then this truth will turn into some joy that will last for eternity. I mean, whenever I remember that moment when I accepted Christ for the first time, that was me seeing the truth, knowing the truth now, that I was a sinner, I needed Jesus Christ, changed my life forever, and I still look back to that moment, it brings great joy. The day I got married, great joy. And I'm still walking these decisions out, but those, in those moments, best decisions. And so God goes, chase after truth. That's why I say learn to chase after truth instead of happiness. Because you see it in that moment with David, all of his men, was ch- they wanted just to be free of all of the struggle, all of the issues that were going on. Just, David, get us back to normal life. But David was after truth. And so I think in, in your decisions that you're making, are you going after happiness? Or are you going after truth? And so at this point, as I've been studying these stories and I've kind of been walking through this, I was like, okay, God, those things are so good. Like, act as if the future is present. And then on top of that, okay, chasing after truth instead of chasing after happiness. But God, I want to be honest. (laughs) Sounds great and all, but how do I really walk that out? Because, man, there's my emotions pull at me and I get down the whole happiness road real fast. How do I make all these decisions that I have to make and make the best ones. And this is the part that stood out to me because I sat there and wondered like, okay, David, you're making yourself out to look really awesome. Like, how are you doing this? And then there's this verse at the end that stood out to me and it is, (laughs) here, I'll just show it to you. Check this verse out. May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. Here's the part I love. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. That part stands out to me because, I told you already, David was willing to risk everything because of this statement. He believed this to the core. God is my advocate, and God will rescue me from your power. And David lived this even when he was chasing after, uh, killed Goliath, all those. He had this belief that God, if I submit to him, he will lead me, he will guide me, he will help me in the midst of this. But this is 
This is not easy to do. But if we learn to submit, it becomes a powerful, powerful tool when we become making tough decisions. Because I, I see what David did here. I'm blown away. And if I look at my life, whenever I submitted to God and made the tough decisions, believing he would step in, believing he would come through, that's where I saw him do the most in a powerful way. When I trusted him with my finances, although I didn't know if we would be able to cover the bills, when I trusted him in relationships, thinking, God, I don't know if this is right. You really want me to walk forgiveness out with this person? You really want me to walk this out with this person? And God's going, just submit to me and I'll show you how to do this. And every time I've seen God show me this, it was the best decision I ever made. And so learning to submit is a powerful thing. That's why I say submission is the key to best decisions, is the key to making the best decisions. Submission, listen to this, submission, not information, not talent, none of those things is the key. It's just submission is the key to making the best decisions. Uh, There was a quote that I heard that I thought this was really good from Andy Stanley. He said this, no one will ever accomplish the will of God by breaking the law of God, violating the principles of God, or ignoring the wisdom of God. Now, Andy Stanley was the one that wrote the book, Principle of the Path. This is where I got this quote from, and it's just kind of been something that stood out to me. No one will ever accomplish the will of God by breaking the law of God, violating the principles of God, or ignoring the wisdom of God. David walked this out. Everybody in around him was telling him, dude, just break that law, break that principle. Because this is, God's given you this. This just makes sense. And he's like, no, it doesn't match up to this. God said I shouldn't do this. So I can't. He will show me how to walk this out. And David did something profound. He <laughs> said, hey, here I am. Saul, we need to address this. So just to give you kind of like happened next, Saul owned up to what he was, what his problem was. He told David, you're a lot better man than I am. God's going to make you king, and I know it. I mean, you think about that. The 3,000 men that are listening to Saul, the 30 men of David. So you see this dynamic starting to change where God is setting David up to be the next king and doing it in the right way because he made the best decision in the moment. His now 30 men trust him even more. They act as like, dude, that guy's nuts. But he makes the right decision. makes the crazy decision. I kept wrestling with this, and one thing that stood out to me about this is, is I go back to that Munson scott story. And that was shared to me by, uh, at that leadership conference by a guy named Jim Collins. I don't know if you guys know who Jim Collins, but he is a guru at business and leadership. So he's been studying businesses for so long. That's why he shared this story, because it's a book that he said, Great by Choice. And so his whole point of sharing that story was like, there are so many businesses that we can look and they're on the same plane. Like if you wanted to compare to like Walgreens and CVS. There's a time where they just first started, all of them same companies going the same direction, all of that kind of stuff. But then for some reason, Walgreens made this huge jump forward to where you see we have Walgreens all over our town. We don't have CVS. Some of you are like, what is CVS? (laughs) Look it up. and so Walgreens is all over the place, and, and so he studies this, like, why did that certain business make it? Why did that business not make it? And he got to the conclusion of, like, it came down to decisions. 
He's like, your top leader has to make the best decisions in order for your company to go somewhere. So play that out in every situation of life. Best decisions in our family, best decisions in our marriage, best decisions everywhere. That's how we get to these destinations that we want. And even destinations we don't think we can get to, we're, we're thinking, man, this person we hate, we don't like, we can't walk out forgiveness with them, but God teaches us best decision, we get to a destination where we have walked it out, we're healing, we're forgiving. So he's making this point of like, all right, businesses do that. Now, I, this guy is not a Christian. And so he's walking this out, and he gets to the recognizing like the CEO the key factor into this is that there has to be humility. Humility becomes the X factor to leadership. Because he's like, I can explain all the decisions of why, like, the company got successful. But the part I can't explain is why that person made that decision. To me, that is a miracle within itself. And that wrecked him because he's like, I don't necessarily believe in miracles. But I can't explain to you why some of these CEOs, these companies, are learning to make the best decisions. And all I can say is, it's a miracle. And I look at that and I go, man, God, you are working on that guy. Get a hold of his heart in a powerful way and showing him that every aspect of life, we need to be dependent on you. Submitting our relationships, submitting our decisions, submitting so everything to you. Because I believe this, our best decisions, our best decisions lead to miracles. Give you for instance, seeing your kids grow up and live a life that honors God, that's a miracle. Finding purpose for your life that you love deeply, that's a miracle. Experiencing a deep marriage that you never thought you that could be this good, miracle. Healing from the wounds of the past, miracle. Fall, walking out forgiveness in a powerful way, miracle. Seeing the kind of success within your career, doing it the right way, those are all miracles. And God's going, I want to do all those miracles in all of your lives. If you're willing to let me show you how to make the best decisions. Because I guarantee you, most of his decisions won't always make sense. And it will lead us down a pretty tough path but it will lead us to the miracles that we want to see in our lives. Miracles that we dream about and hope and wish that we could get to. And so that's what I want for us. I want us to recognize how important these decisions are. So there's two things that I think will help us learn how to submit so that we can keep that mindset. If we submit, I truly believe we will act as if the future is the present and we will choose to chase after truth instead of happiness, but there's gotta be two things that we have to do in our lives, and the first thing, in order to submit, is simply fall on our knees and pray. And say, God, I need your help. There's even a prayer I wanna share with you that I think even helps us in this area. So look at this prayer, it says this, Heavenly Father, help us to see trouble coming long before it gets here, and give us the wisdom to know what to do, and give us the courage to do it love that prayer. I, I heard this prayer recently, and ever since that moment, I underlined it, I highlighted it, I was like, man, that is so good. Because there are so many moments in my life I need this prayer. Scared to make a decision, because I don't know if it's going to be the right one or not. 
scared if anything in my life is going to work out the way I think it's going to, or it's scared to be dependent on God because I'm like, God, are you sure you have this? And then this prayer, for some reason, in a powerful way, brings that peace back that I need to know, God, help me. So, church, here's what I want us to do. I simply want us to say this prayer together. So if you would, what's just going to do it together? I'll start it off. You ready? Heavenly Father, help us to see trouble coming long before it gets here. And give us the wisdom to know what to do. And then give us the courage to do it. I pray that you would take that prayer and make, us, make it an everyday occurrence. Because think about that. You've got 35,000 decisions every day. I think this prayer could be very useful for those decisions. Second thing is this. And this will be the tougher part. We should own the real reasons for our selfish decisions. We're honest, there's probably been plenty of decisions where we chose happiness, or we chose, I'm just going to do it right now, do it the way I want to do it, however it may be. I've got plenty of those decisions. But we've got to own those and say, God, I'm I recognize I made those decisions out of selfishness. Even to help you, the real reason I lie about my family, the real reason I filed for divorce, the real reason we moved in together, the real reason I won't call my kids, the real reason for my credit card debt, the real reason I drink too much, the real reason, reason I quit going to church. We could have a bunch of these. But we just wrestle with God, why did I choose that? Was it because of the influence of other people around me? Is it because of my own insecurities? Was it just because of my own selfishness? And on those, and even maybe some better questions to ask is, maybe there's a disconnect because you want to follow God. But then you ask these questions, you may recognize there's a big problem. These questions being this, what laws of God am I breaking? What principles of God am I violating? And what wisdom am I ignoring? So I think all of us in here, I think we're going to need to take some time and, and wrestle with, okay, what decisions am I making? Are they the best decisions? Or have I been making some selfish decisions? So I, I want to go ahead and give you the time. Go ahead, close your eyes, bow your heads. And I will simply want you to wrestle with where you're at in life. Ask yourself, have I made the best decisions? And maybe even better, ask these questions. What laws of God am I breaking? What principles am I violating? What wisdom of God am I ignoring? And simply just be honest with him. And let you and him start walking this out of how you can make even better decisions, make the best decisions. So I give you this time right now. Simply talk with God. How are you doing at making the best decisions? Dear God, I thank you so much for today. But God, it's crazy to think about how many decisions we make every day. It's 
crazy to think about how many of those decisions impact, all of them impact the direction that we're going in life. And God, we know that our direction determines our destination. So God, help us to take some time this week and really sit on what decisions am I making and are they honoring to you? Am I willing to submit all of my decisions to you? Because God, submitting to you, letting you have control of our lives is hard. May we learn to do that simply through the prayer and just spending time with you and saying, God, I need your leadership. I need your help. I need your wisdom. But also, Lord, we own the mistakes that we've made, the bad decisions that we've made, and say, God, I don't want to repeat these. I want to change and make better decisions. And so, God, I, I don't know where everybody's at in this room, but I also know some of them may be sitting in here uh, kind of been leading their life their own way, and you now kind of woken up their eyes to go on, I need to submit to God. I need you. And so, God, I pray that they would begin to walk that out. They would give their life over to you and say, God, show me how to make the best decisions so I can see the miracles that you want to do in my life. And so, God, I thank you for giving us this wisdom. I thank you for showing us this. God, we love you. And may we walk this out in a powerful way. Amen.